Welcome to the St. Patrick Catholic Community Podcast in Scottsdale, Arizona. We are Christian Disciples in Mission. The Gospel of Luke today gives us some beautiful examples of how God feels about sinners, those who are lost and are distant from God. And Jesus gives us three images of what God is like. Many tax collectors, those are traitors to the Jewish nation because they are in contact with the Romans and they are not well liked and many times are dishonest and sinners themselves follow Jesus. They're attracted with him and a number of them change their lives to follow them. The scribes and Pharisees that Luke uses is an example of people who oppose Jesus' inclusivity. Jesus, we don't like the fact that you include these sinners, those who are unclean and not close to God in the law, because many of them found themselves to be experts in what God thinks about sinners because they closely follow the law. And so Jesus gives us an example of what God the Father is like, always searching for the lost. I think if many St. Patrick's parishioners, those who are Christian disciples in mission, if they really believed this, a lot of suffering would be eliminated. Because sometimes we feel that we're not forgiven. We don't feel the forgiveness of the church or of the community at large. And the community, religious community at that time, following the law, we're not always welcome to the sinners. And Jesus gives us an example the important role has in the community. We see that in the prodigal son story, that the community is angry with the son because he goes up to his father and says, you're dead to me. Can I have my money now? That is not a way you treat the father in that story. And the village and the community knew about this. So when the son left, they heard stories of him spending money, especially with Gentiles. Oof, that was awful and made them even more mad that if that son would ever show up again, they'd be ready for him. And boy, they would really give it to him. And interestingly enough, the young man is not sorry, but he comes to his, assist, his senses and says, I'm starving. Not once do you hear him say, I'm sorry, you were right all along, I shouldn't have done that. He just goes, can you treat me like a hired hand because I'm starving. And what does the father do? It's so interesting that he runs. That's something that older men did not do at that time because that is embarrassing and humiliating. But the reason he runs is because he saves them from the anger of the community. But the reconciliation happens in the midst of the community. He purposely wants that to be done. He wants them to see that forgiveness and the reconciliation can happen. But it isn't only that in community, but there is a celebration of that. My favorite verses were, they killed the fatted calves and everyone came to eat. Huh? That's pretty good. I can't think of a better thing to celebrate than someone who was lost and is found again. Now, we don't sit here and go, gee, that's God, that's great. Jesus is saying, all of us should be that way. As God is merciful and passionately following the lost and going after sinners, the community should do the same. Scribes and Pharisees are not the example, but rather the Father the father who runs and welcomes the son back. And so as we gather together, 
That's important because our theme from now until November is God's people gathering. And in community, when we gather, we are called to reconcile and to know that forgiveness of sins happens also in the midst of community, but God also invites us to celebrate that. September 4th, last week, was our 20th anniversary of our first Mass in this building. And a lot of stories went into building that building. And today what I'd like to do is break open some of the symbolism that this sacred space that talks about the mercy of God, but the role of the community. The parish was established in 1980 under Father Brian Fenlon. And they took five years to build their first building. And when I was named pastor in 1995, I came to the community here. And he had the setting where the altar was at the center and the people were surrounded that. And I want to let you know I didn't like it. I really didn't like the shape because you would see the ball spot in the back of my head. So I didn't want people behind me. So it wasn't what I was used to. I was used to the bus uh, driver type thing, you know, that church is all you see the back of the head. And that's what I was familiar with. And I thought all churches should be built that way. But you know, I didn't come in as a pastor and say, my way, I want to build my church. The people transformed me. I saw for myself the kind of disciples they were, their love of Eucharist, their love of community. That was always there before I got there. And so when we built this building, when we had the building committee together, we didn't build it what Father wanted. But we took as best of the things of the, what Father Brian and the community had and brought it here. Before Father Brian died, many times he told me his vision of Vatican II is found in this building. And so I think we honored the community. And it wasn't the pastor going in and saying, this is my decision, this is my way or the highway. And so I'm very honored to know that Father Brian and many people in the community really saw the vision of community and the altar at the center being part of the community here. And so I'd like to do is break open, how does this building, how does this gathering space, worshiping God, really work? The first thing you encounter when you come on the property outside are the Stations of the Cross. The Stations of the Cross are a reminder that to be a disciple of Jesus is a sacrifice. It's really a dying process. It's saying no to other things. And you know, it's really hard to be disciples of convenience or saying, I'm not ready to overcommit because my schedule, I have a lot of things going on. And I'm not ready to commit yet because psychologists are telling us a lot of people are not regathering back, not just in church, but in places because they don't want to overcommit. And I understand that. Prior to COVID, we were all in rat races. We were all overwhelmed. How could we keep that pace up forever? And now many people have set back and are being more selective, which I understand. But it's important to know discipleship means what? To make that choice. Dying to other things. Saying no to other things, but saying yes to the Lord. Some of you are dying just walking from the parking lot. So you're already dying in that process. So when you come in, the first thing you see when you enter into the narthex is what? Touchdown Jesus. That's right, huh? Yeah. There's a theme of Christianity is dying and rising. Dying and rising. Remember what I've told you, whenever I'm teaching a class or giving instruction, if I ask you a question, explain the Holy Spirit, and you just say dying and rising, you're right. You're always right. You're never wrong when you say dying and rising. This whole building, our whole faith of Christianity is found on dying and rising. There is no rising without dying. 
And there's no dying without rising. And so that's what you experience. We also have the narthex. That's a gathering space. When, when we brought the building committee, brought this to the building committee at the diocese, a number of people said, why are you doing that? That's a wasted space. You're wasting money. The priest that told me that, I think, is now in the gathering space in heaven. He's no longer with us, huh? But, yeah, that was foreign. They said, you're wasting space. Why would you want to do that? Because community. I love when the teens before Mass and after Mass at Sunday night and the young adults gather together and just talk. I love parishioners with coffee and donuts out there. When it's hot, they're gathered together. We use that space for gathering and for functions or receptions or things like that in terms of after a Mass or an event. And so that's the gathering space, gathering God's people because God is a God who wants to gather people. The first thing you experience then entering into our sanctuary are the doors. The doors then are meant to be, have no windows. And the reason for that is this is a place of mystery. God is encountered here, but you and I will never understand the Mass. Sometimes you and I can't even understand the Scriptures. And sometimes we can't even understand the homily. That just happens, huh? It's part of mystery. God will never be totally, fully understood. But that's what we enter into. And so we use copper. Copper is a common metal, and we are God's common people. And hammered into it is earth, wind, fire, and water. Those are the elements that traditionally humankind has experienced God throughout human history. And so we are about to encounter God. Yes, God can be found on the golf course or the shopping center or up in the mountains. You can. He's there too. But uniquely, God is found in his people and in the gathering of people. And so the red represents the passion of Christ. Huh? There's a dying part of that process there. Now when you open the doors, the first thing you experience is what? Resurrection of the baptistry. Baptistries are not meant to be beautiful. They are meant to be scary because it's a dying process. Look at the scriptures. You become a new creation, but you die to your old way of being. You're no longer thinking about yourself, but you think about other people. And so it's dying and rising. You look at those doors, that red reminds you of the passion of Christ, but also you and I, in our suffering, in our challenges, also experience that. And when we open the doors, we go to that baptismal font. It's round, the shape of God, no beginning, no end. There are 12 boulders there that represent the foundation of our church. Now, I'll tell you a little something that I've been a priest for 37 years. There's evil in the world. People come to me and say, in my house, there's something happening that isn't good. And my children are afraid, or we're afraid, or we don't know what's going on. And I always, for 37 years, said, take holy water, and bless yourself, and bless your home. And in 37 years, no one has come back and said it didn't work. It's not superstition, because you have to believe. And you have to invite Christ into your life, but you also have to change. Whatever it is that's causing anything in your life that's not part of Christ, you have to do that. And so when people get to a point and they're afraid and there's lights going on and off, they don't know why, we tell them, take holy water. Because that's important. God's presence is found in that. And that's why you bless yourselves with your baptistry. So take it home. Take home the baptismal water. Bless your spouse. Bless your children, your grandchildren. Bless your home. Because that tells you gathering isn't just the only coming to Mass, even though it's the most important thing a disciple should do. You're gathering at your home, and who you invite is holy. And so that baptistry represents dying and rising. We die to an old way of life, 
and we become anew. The confessionals that you and I know, we call them the reconciliation chapels, are in the back there. And the reason they're placed there, because after the reconciliation, the doors open and you enter back into the font. Sin is not individualistic. It always damages the community or lessens the community. And to be reconciled in the community is exactly what today's gospel is about. You don't do it alone. The father doesn't take the son in the back door and said, shh, don't let anyone see you. Come in the back way and we'll just leave you there. It's purposely celebrating the community because we need to be reconciled to the community. That's why we need to be godlike. How many Catholic communities throughout the world, the millions of them, some of them are not very welcoming. Some of them are not very inclusive. Some of them are very judgmental and hate sinners. That's why we have to be a place then that opens those doors that we're reconciled. And that's why you go and bless yourself after you've been forgiven of sins so that you are reconnected to the community. Okay? And that's our role because, again, we're called to be godlike. It's not enough just for God to forgive us, but that we cooperate with that so that people know that they're always loved and part of God's family. And so that's those are the reconciliation uh, chapels that happen there. If you haven't been in confession a long time, open the door so you know what it looks like in there, okay? <laughs> the next one is the holy oils. Those oils are blessed. It's called an ambry. The bishop blesses these oils every holy week there. Now the chrism ones, all of you received it at your baptism and confirmation. Oil always represents an interior change when it's placed upon us. The other one is for the ill. Not, not just for last rites, because people think that when they're sick, they're not dying, so why bother the priest? No, you know, you shouldn't be twiddling your thumbs there when you're ill or preparing for surgery. The priest uses that oil, blessed by the bishop, to anoint people, to offer healing, whether it's spiritual, physical, emotional type of healing. So those oils are a reminder that whenever oil is placed on our skin, it represents an interior change. Now the priest gets his hands anointed with chrism. And so that's why I have superpowers here at the church. The bishop put that on my hands there. You are also baptized as well, and you make Christ's presence in the life that you live. And that's why we have the oils present there. Let's move up towards what's called then the Rerirdos wall. That's the wall towards the back here. And in that Rerirdos wall, what we see is a corpus that's copper hammered. It's five foot nine inches, okay? Again, it's dying. And why do we have a tree there? Do we worship trees? Some people think we do. Why is there a tree? Anybody? You said dying and rising. You're right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> no, the reason for that is that St. Paul says in the Scripture, and check with Father Andre if you don't trust me, St. Paul calls the cross the tree of life. The tree of life. Okay, from that tree comes the destruction of human life, but also resurrection. Again, my friends, it's dying and rising. Everything about our Christian life is dying and rising. And so this is a reminder then that Christ is crucified. We share. Why do Catholics have crucifix there? Because you know why we suffer? If people just want the cross because we think Christ already died, who, who do we identify with? Not that we glory and suffer, that we look for it. Yeah, make me suffer, God, or send me suffering. No, nobody in their right mind should ever do that. But when we do suffer from our poor choices or what life happens to us, Christ is there with us. Okay? Because it's redemptive. All suffering is redemptive. It's not useless. That's offered. The church teaches us in our prayers that any suffering is in union with Jesus' suffering. Without Jesus' faith, then your suffering is a sick thing for human beings. 
They're just a sick thing that just happens and there's no meaning behind it. You're just cruel and I guess someone's punishing you. No. For Christians, we join in Jesus' suffering. Not that we glory in it. Not that we love it. But that whenever happens, we know that we're not alone. That there's always resurrection with our suffering. This cross here is called the processional cross. You'll see the servers when they get back or our lectors right now bringing that processional cross. The reason for that is when that cross is removed and brought back to the front for procession, there's a hollow in the shell there. The, the, the cross is not there, so all you see is the shell of the outer cross. And what that represents is the hollowness of death. The hollowness of death, that if you die without Christ and understanding the resurrection, it's just dying. You no longer exist. Good luck. Bye. I, I don't believe in resurrection, so there's just death. When people die, you go, boo-hoo. No, there's death. That when one dies, one has resurrection, dying and rising. And so that's why in the processional cross, you have white as a sign of what? Resurrection. Red, the sign of what? The blood of Christ. There you go, people, dying and rising again. That's why you're never wrong when you say that. Okay? And that's the most important thing to me because I've lost a lot of friends at St. Patrick's. Lost a lot of personal people. And so I'm thinking, where, where are they at? And, you know, their death seems to be meaningless because God has taken four good guys in my life that did a lot of ministry, you know, and they were young, and they, should have, they had more life in them. But for some reason, God called them home. And it feels real hollow at times. I say, God, you just don't know what you're doing. And yet, I know when I look at that cross, there's meaning that they have resurrection and they share in that. Underneath that is the rock, and we have different parish names around us, so our surrounding parish are named because our faith is on the rock of together in a community, not just St. Patrick's. So you'll see Blessed Sacrament's name on there, St. Bernard Clairvaux, you'll see Our Lady of Joy, and also St. Maria Goretti and other churches. But when you're the pastor, you get to make decisions. So every parish I've been at since a little boy, their name's on there. Not my name, just the name of parishes that are there. And that's about the rock of our, of our faith as well. Let me... Take a look at where we're at next here. Okay, the next thing is called the ambo. That's what many people call that the lectern. Some people think that's golf tees on there. No, it's trumpets, huh? Because it is the gospel being proclaimed. Remember, the gospel is good news. Even when Jesus challenges us and you and I scratch our head and go, wow, Jesus seems really mad today, it's good news. It's the good news of Christ and it's being proclaimed. Now, what some Catholics do is that when the word comes to there, they fall asleep. You know, and we're waiting for the real part of the Mass, the host, so that we receive it and we can adore it. That's what our church teaches, according to the documents, Christ is present in the Word just as much as He is at the table. That's why in church rubrics, the church ways of liturgical faith, you can never gather together without reading scriptures. That's why we don't say, hey, I found a good article today in place of the second reading from Reader's Digest. I'm going to share that with you today. No. It's always the Word of God. And traditionally, Old Testament, New Testament, and Gospel. And so that's proclaimed for there. And the reason it's back there is because everything leads to the table. The table is important. And so the people, when you come in, the font, everything here, because receiving the sacraments of initiation, baptism, confirmation, Eucharist, Eucharist completes initiation. Eucharist completes initiation. And so that's why the altar is the center. So when you come in here, when we built this, 
The reason was is that you can be a Catholic church and you don't need to have a crucifix. You don't need the tabernacle. You don't need kneelers. You don't need statues. You don't even need a roof. There's some churches throughout the world that don't have any of those things. But you can't be an operating Catholic community without the table. That is central, and it's a place of action. This liturgical space is a place of action. That's why the documents really call that the tabernacle isn't meant to be behind. And we'll talk about that in just a minute, because this is what happens is the place of action. And so the altar is round because the documents of the church, when we read them and studied them, said it should be approachable from every side. The altar does not belong to the priest. It belongs to the baptized. It's round. Walnut is on the bottom. Mahogany is on the top. But it looks different from 20 years ago because it was really light. Mahogany darkens over time. And this is a reminder that our faith rich, grows in richness when we come to the table. And so if you look at the pictures 20 years ago and now, it's much darker. And that talks about our spiritual growth as well. Now underneath here, you see the three angels. Not for the Anaheim angels, okay? But angels, there, there's threeness because of Trinity. Three doors, three sides of tabernacle, three parts of the altar here, and three angels as well. So that's a sign of Trinity, the wholeness of God here. And the reason for that is simultaneously, we call this heavenly food here. So if you've lost anyone through death, and I'm thinking of the four gentlemen that I've been close to in my life who are now up with the Lord in the heavenly banquet, they eat the same thing we're eating today. That's why they're here. That's why if you want to be close to those who have died, you come to the table. That's what the heavenly banquet is about. And that's what these angels represent. You're not eating a symbol. You're not eating something you wish to do or something you decided to go today for Mass. Yeah, let's go to Mass. Nothing else is on. No. You are here eating with those you have lost. And they are eating the heavenly banquet. Okay? And so that's why the altar is very central on that. And that's why when you come in, that's what we want you to see first. Okay, we don't want you to see other things there. The altar is central to who we are, and again, it belongs to the baptized. That's why when we built this building, first of all, some of you who are older remember we got shovels. So Lyle and Karen, we have some of your dirt from your yard right here underneath there, right? So I'm not lying, right? Okay, there you go. Yeah, and all the parishioners put their dirt there, and that's why when people donated there, we didn't take any money from a gift from any parishioner because this belongs to the community. So no one could say, I'd like in memory of so-and-so to, to uh, have the altar. No, sorry, go somewhere else, okay? Because this belongs to the baptized. Now, why are you seated that way? Why are you doing that that way? It's called antiphonal seating there. And one of the most beautiful things is before Mass, someone right over there saw someone coming and sit down, and they waved at each other. Huh? That's why we do antiphonal seating, so that you can see one another. Here's what the church teaches about the most sacred item in this place. It's not the altar. It's not the tabernacle. It's not the priest, even though it should be, but it's not. It's saying you, the people, are the most sacred item. That's why when I sit in this building, when no one's here, it's empty. But when you come in here, you are the most sacred item in this sacred place. You, not the furnishings, not the building, not the walls. You. And so that's why you see one another. Now, when the book of Revelation says, when they talk about the heavenly banquet, and in case you don't read the Bible, it's the last book in the Bible. You might want to get it and open it up a little bit, okay? And here's what it describes. Describes the table of all the nations gathering together and antiphonal seatings there. People seeing one another. So when you all die and go to heaven, 
you're all going to go, wow, St. Patrick. Yeah? So you might want to help the other Catholics who are lost and don't know where they're at. Huh? But the reason is people don't understand that we're not on Shea Boulevard. But no one in the history of St. Patrick's in 42 years or whatever it is, never drove by and say, let's get our kids baptized there. Let's go to Mass there this Sunday. Let's get married there. Because most of Scottsdale doesn't know where St. Patrick's is. We still have 5,100 registered families on a road. Not all come, but they all need something. And they all belong. And they're important. And one of the things is, is that it only grew by word of mouth. It grew by word of mouth. Because no one knows where St. Patrick's is at. And yet people know that they belong and have a family here as well. The last item I'll share with you is the tabernacle. The reason it's not behind the altar is because the documents have talked about that it needs to be in a place of reservation and reverence. The reason we have a tabernacle, number one, is reservation for the sick. Reservation for the sick. Reservation for the sick. It means the extra hosts that are there are placed there so our ministers of care can go to hospitals and homes and nursing places so that communion can be brought to them. That's the number one reason. Read the documents. The second part can be prayer. That's why in our old building we had no place to pray. And that's why there's no speakers in there, there's no meetings in there, there's nothing but praying. And you see the tabernacle there, it's what? White, representing resurrection with the arms going up. It's the shape of a tree because, again, what? The tree of life. On top of it is a stained glass that has the crown of thorns. And whenever the sun hits it, it'll hit the tabernacle at different times during the day. Again, what is it? That's right. Dying and rising right there. You're getting it, huh? And so that's why that's open all the time. As soon as our maintenance people come up, they open the Blessed Sacrament Chapel from 6 in the morning until our last function. That's open for anyone to be able to come and pray. And so this building is speaking a lot to you in the community. And today's gospel says you and I have a role in reconciliation. How we treat sinners cannot be like the scribes and Pharisees. But it must be just like God, searching and calling people and knowing that they have a place at the table and that they belong. That's what this building should be speaking. And I think it does here today. But you know, this building means nothing without you. Thank you for gathering today. I know some of you won't be here next week because you're not as faithful as St. Costco people. They never miss. Well, we have to eat, Father. That's why we go to Costco. Well, what do you think we do here? Some people are spiritually starving and they don't even know it because they can do without Eucharist. And yet the most faithful people in Scottsdale are Costco shoppers because I hear you all the time. We're going to go get you a hot dog, Father. We'll be back. Good. We're getting more wine. Good. What about here? I think you can be faithful. Just remember, God's called to gather. And this building speaks to all of us about what it means to be a Christian disciple in mission gathering. Thank you for listening to the St. Patrick Catholic Community Homily Podcast. We are Christian disciples in mission 